Hi, this is Steve Poor, and you're listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Today's guest is Julie Saltman, co-founder and CEO at Stan, a company using AI to eliminate tedious grunt work from the due diligence process. Prior to launching Stan, Julie spent more than 15 years as an attorney at the U.S. Department of Justice, the U.S. Copyright Office, and in private practice. In addition to working with Stan, she's written articles on technology innovation and the law and was an adjunct professor at Georgetown University Law Center, where she taught legal writing. At Stan, she works with a highly experienced team of innovative lawyers who are building tools that transform their clients' businesses. In our conversation, Julie talks about how Stan helps lawyers save time in the due diligence process, the lessons she learned with the launch of the company, and how generative AI could impact the way we teach legal writing. Thank you very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Julie, welcome to the show, and thank you for making the time. Thanks, Stephen. It's really great to talk to you today. It's great to talk to you as well. As one of the ABA's Women of Tech for 2023, congratulations on that, by the way. Thank you so much. You're the founder of Stand, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That's right. The second D is silent. The second D. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, you get people going, Stand. Yeah, we do actually are like really emphasizing the last syllable, Stand. But... You can just call it stand. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. Okay. You're about a year old. That's right. Uh, tell us about the company and the product. You describe yourself as being AI. I don't have your website open in front of me, but AI native or AI based. Of course, everything these days is generative AI. So talk a little bit about the company and what you mean by being AI native. Absolutely. So um, Stand is an AI-native due diligence and deal intelligence platform. So we are taking the due diligence process, which um, I have now experienced as a lawyer and a client, and it's not fun for either party. Uh, and we're using AI to help eliminate a lot of the tedious, manual, busy work and the wasted time that's part of that process. Uh, and then also creating features to help people collaborate more effectively and also gain insights or sort of clarity about the big picture, the issues that are central to sort of de-risking a deal for everyone involved and uh, helping people make better decisions with more full, more information. So tell me a little bit more. I'm, I'm a deal lawyer. Well, I'm not a deal lawyer, but let's pretend I'm a deal lawyer. I'm an old litigator. Sure. So if the questions are dumb, I apologize for that. But typical due diligence in a deal requires looking at massive amounts of documents and contracts and leases and all that kind of stuff. How do you train your software? And, and these are usually, they're unique to every deal. That's right. So it's not like there's one form that everybody looks at and says, aha, I got you. So how do you, how do you train your model? to deal with the variations and the, and, the, and the different kinds of documents and different risks that you're looking for? Yeah, that's a good question. First, I'll say that part of what we're automating, part of the workflow that we're enhancing with AI 
is not contract review. So we are doing exactly what you just described. But what we learned from talking to so many lawyers uh, and investors and companies who uh, prepare for, who engage in this sort of due diligence review is that a lot of time is spent before you even get to the contract review. And that felt like really low-hanging fruit to automate with AI. So we trained our models on the checklists that lawyers and investors use to make sure everything in the deal is there. You know, all of the boxes are checked. All the documents that should be there are there. There isn't anything major missing. And we've actually developed a set of features that allow you, you know, when you upload a bunch of documents to the stand data room, they're automatically organized into the categories that people use to assess completeness uh, of a data room. And that little thing on its own, just organizing the documents saves people a ton of time. There are many firms where an associate will spend days going through each document, reading it, summarizing it, and then putting it into a folder. And the same thing happens in investment firms if a data room isn't well organized. So, you know, that's sort of an illustration of how we're saving people time uh, in this workflow. We're trying to find the processes, the parts of the workflow that right now are being done manually and are a pain point for people. Uh, and then we sort of, we learn a lot, we dig into the workflow and we use kind of standard checklists to to train our models. And so for for contracts, for reviewing contracts and sort of getting a sense of, you know, whether there are any red flags, there's a lot of data sets out there uh, that you can train models on to help them end up understand or identify uh, things that are sort of outside of the norm or, or non-traditional in legal documents. And another approach we have to that is something that actually came from my experience as a litigator. So I often felt like, you know, when you're looking at a really complex factual record, there's all this really rich information. And the way that you see what's unusual is by sort of pulling the key details and then transforming it or reconceptualizing it. Sometimes seeing the same information organized in a new way helps you generate deeper insights and get a better understanding. So we have a lot of really cool capabilities around that sort of idea. And one of them is our timeline. So we have trained models to understand what a critical date or event is uh, in a legal document. And we can, in just a minute or two, pull every date or event from all of the documents in a data room and organize them into a chronology so that you can go through and see the whole life cycle of a company from start to finish. You can see you know, who's joined uh, from employment contracts. You can see how sales contracts are playing out and renewing all in one place. And that really helps people, I think, identify um, areas where they want to dig in and gives them a high-level sense of kind of what's going on with the company. Let's move back to something you said uh, sort of at the beginning, the checklist there. The system tells you whether the information provided is complete, if there's anything missing. How do you tell if something's missing? That seems very hard to me. It's sort of a working backwards uh, equation. So we have... Uh, trained our models on these checklists that people use. And so the documents can be categorized under those frameworks. And so, you know, if there's not a document that fits one of the, the categories that we've trained our models to look for, that's a red flag. Now, it might be that there's a good reason for that. It might be that the company is new and hasn't hired anyone. So there are no employment contracts. But that's something that you would want to look into. Part of our sort of core ethos is that 
we are not trying to replace lawyers in this process. And I don't think that lawyers could ever or would ever allow, well, not ever, but in the near term, would allow software to do this process for them. It's really, really important. Diligence plays a critical role for their clients uh, on both sides of the table. And uh, I don't think any lawyer thinks that, you know, they could just sort of outsource this to technology. So what we're trying to do is help lawyers know where to focus their time and resources. And so, you know, by showing them categories where there are no documents that fit the definition of, uh, of, of, you know, what usually goes in that category, we help that we give them a place to focus first. Instead of just looking at a whole data room and having to go through and try to sort of see what's missing, we can, in a few seconds, show them, hey, there are not documents relevant to these categories. And so you might want to look into this and see whether that's an issue. It might not be, but that's a place to focus your efforts first. You know, I think that's such a, an interesting viewpoint and so, so right on. But I think there's a general misunderstanding about generative AI out there that it's going to replace humans as opposed to cover some of the tasks people are doing and augmenting people's ability to do things more efficiently, more effectively, don't you think? Completely agree. I think, uh, you know, we've sort of in our products, we've built different types of, of capabilities in. And I think generative AI has the ability to to automate tasks that take us a really long time, like, for example, organizing documents into categories. But there is also this ability to uh, see patterns or make predictions. And that's another area where, where we're focused and where I think, you know, I'm really interested to see how generative AI can augment this process more and more as it, as it develops. Um, I think that none of these processes replace the role of a lawyer or the role of an investor or acquirer in this process. But I see generative AI as giving people better tools and better insights and sort of a new perspective that can help them sort of unlock ideas and make better decisions. Yeah, I mean, I think the, the insights piece is interesting. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that because I think one of the things technology does is the ability to process large amounts of information in a rapid manner, way more than any individual human can do and typically faster than teams can do. Trick has always been getting it into actionable information and useful information for the lawyer. How have you sort of approached that problem? Yeah, you know, I think my team has kind of an unfair advantage in that respect. I have a very strong product team. We have a chief product officer on our founding team who has 15 years of experience building products for people in the healthcare space, similar to lawyers, highly trained professionals who don't want code spit at them. They need information delivered to them in a usable way, and they're working under incredible time pressure. And so that's been a core focus of ours from the beginning. We're building a product. We're not building an AI machine or um, software. We're building a product for lawyers. So that's, you know, we, everything we build is based on tons of data from customers. We talk to our current customers, we talk to potential customers. And, you know, I know you have, uh, you know, worked in the, the legal tech space as well. And, and you probably know how this goes. It's, it's such an iterative process to getting it right. And we really put the time into doing that. Our CTO, Stephen, also his sort of side project, his personal hobby is, knowledge management, believe it or not. He's really into the open source note-taking community. And 
for years has been playing with really interesting ideas around how people learn and collect and organize information for their own personal development. And so he's really brought that perspective to building this product. The product's brand new. It's only been in the market for two months, but we've had a lot of great success even at this early stage because we've really put the thought into making sure uh, the information that we're giving to people is usable, is actionable, and fits right in their workflow. They don't have to sort of take time or put everything down and sit and, and do something different than the way that they're used to, used to working. You're a new product. What differentiates your product from your competitors? You know, a couple of things. I think that focus on workflow is a big differentiator. There are several products, many that have been around for a long time, since well before OpenAI hit the scene, that people have been using to sort of analyze contracts in the diligence process and look for red flags. That's not a new a new approach, but that's just one piece of the diligence process. Like I said, you know, we also are attacking organizing the data room, going through a checklist. Uh, there are many touch points on the diligence workflow, including plans for post-close. So that's especially in M&A. Uh, you know, we've learned a lot about integration planning and how that comes out of the diligence process. And, you know, I've seen that there's sort of a version of that for, for financings as well. So um, we are focused on this full end-to-end workflow, not just the contract analysis piece. And we're also very focused on the collaboration piece. Diligence to me is sort of a conversation. There's a back and forth to it. There's a transfer of information. Uh, and it's about everybody de-risking every angle of the deal for themselves so it can get to close and everybody can benefit from it. And you know, I'm really interested in building more and more tools to facilitate that conversation and to facilitate or, or to add value for every player around the table, not just the lawyers. I think both investors and companies that are acquiring other companies, as well as companies fundraising or being acquired, could all benefit from better tools to be ready for this process uh, when it arises, for getting through the process with as little friction as possible, and just for having more time to sort of negotiate and build relationships around the table rather than spending so much time, you know, doing kind of data management to get the deal across the line. So I know it's early days, but the legal tech market, the sales process is known as a is a challenging one. What challenges do you have in the market to selling your product and sort of how do you overcome those challenges? That's such a great question because the legal market has a reputation for being challenging and you know, I think that's fair, but I also think I, as a lawyer, I bring the perspective of my customers and I, I understand why. Like, I think one uh, major challenge in legal tech is data security. And I think that is law firms are right to be concerned about data security, especially with generative AI tools. And I think law firms have appropriate questions for us and for, you know, working with early stage companies because of the importance of the security of their clients' data. So I think that's probably one of our biggest challenges. And I think the typical path is the one we're taking. Smaller firms uh, that don't work, for example, with financial institutions can be a little bit more innovative when it comes to using cloud solutions, using technology. And so, you know, we're working with boutique firms 
the smaller firms, not the MLA 100 to start. And in the meantime, we are currently going through the process of getting SOC 2 certified and developing our, uh, you know, a full security profile, security certification profile so that, you know, we'll be ready to work with big firms soon. And, you know, at that point, we'll also have a bigger customer support team as well to, uh, you know, to meet a larger organization where they need to be. So tell me the origin story for Stand. How did you come by this idea? Why, why did you think this was a good idea in the market? And sort of how did you build the initial team? Yeah, I think you know that I was a litigator. I actually was not really a deal lawyer. I, I did a little transactional work in private practice, but I spent most of my you're at the D, you're at the DOJ for like eleven years, right? I was, I was, yeah, I was a civil litigator at the Justice Department for most of my career. I focused on tax and admin law, regulatory law, which I think there are applications. There's some overlap there with some of the issues that come up in diligence, um, sort of the compliance review piece of diligence, but. Yeah, I mean, this was not something that I did day in and day out in my career. And when I started the company, I had sort of a, a higher level philosophical goal that I think applies to diligence and to litigation. And that is that I felt, you know, in my days at DOJ, I handled some really, uh, you know, some cases that had really complex issues. Several of my cases went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and I was at the trial level. So, we were making arguments that had to sustain all the way up, all the way up to the court. And Lexis and Westlaw are only so helpful when you go to make those arguments. You really, the most valuable information is from your team's sort of institutional knowledge. And the best way I had to access that information was to send an office-wide email, an ISO, or walk around to my colleagues' offices and chit-chat with them or pick up the phone and call them. And I would spend a day sometimes trying to unblock myself on a sentence or a paragraph. And I thought, that's crazy. Like law firms, this has to be true everywhere. Law firms, legal organizations like DOJ are sitting on this like treasure trove, this gold mine of really, you know, proprietary information that could give them such a competitive edge in their cases. And we just don't have a good way to quickly access it. And it search felt inadequate. It didn't feel at the time like just a keyword search would get you what you needed. So, you know, that was sort of a problem I experienced. And when I first was exploring the idea for this company, that was the problem I wanted to solve. And, you know, we actually, we, our original product was more litigator focused. It was um, an AI powered search and insight platform. So it had sort of, it was enterprise search. We integrated with all the systems lawyers used to, to, to store internal information and created a really effective search tool that also provided insights and summaries of uh, the information that you found. But what we found with that tool, we launched that in March. And the most successful thing we did with it, honestly, was right before we launched the full product, we had been working on sort of this AI-powered search for a while. And then OpenAI kind of hit the scene and legal AI started to take off. And we wanted to sort of get credit for having anticipated this trend and being in this space right at the right time. But our product wasn't ready. So we took our models and trained them on every Supreme Court decision ever issued. And we launched this public-facing tool on our website called SCOTUS AI, where you could go ask a question and get an answer from the Supreme Court. And it was just sort of like a little, you know, like an engineering marketing type of tool to illustrate the power of the product that we had built. 
So we just sort of, you know, went on social media and posted about it and actually got hundreds of people to come in and use Scotus AI and, you know, sign up for Stan's email list and sign up for the waitlist for our product. So that was sort of our big splash. We launched our product in, you know, in March, a couple months later, and um, had a couple of firms in private beta with us. Uh, and what we noticed was their usage was really spiky. Like there'd be a spike of usage and then just a flat line for a really long time and then another spike and a flat line. And so we, you know, we talked to them about uh, their usage of their product and learned that they basically said, you're right, this is a big problem and your product works amazingly well, but this isn't a problem I experience every single day. It's one that comes up maybe once a week. So for that, it's great. But internally we thought, okay, well, that's not the product we want to build. We want to build a product that people reach for first thing in the morning, every single day that they need for many aspects of their work, not just one problem. And so we went back and started talk to our current customers, started talking to more lawyers. I've, probably, I've talked to hundreds of lawyers over the last year, just sort of learning about the way people work. And the due diligence process kept coming up. And I thought that's interesting because, you know, diligence is this really intense analytical process that involves a lot of complexity and it's very important. And there is a regulatory component, which interested me as a regulatory lawyer. And so, you know, we started designing, we started really learning about the workflow and it turned out that a lot of what we had built and what we had imagined for our initial product could be sort of adapted to the diligence workflow and actually added more value there. And so we got really excited about attacking this workflow and making it better for people. And, you know, that's a great starting point to then see where else a similar product could add value. So we might come back to the litigation workflows, but uh, diligence seems like a good place to start. That's awesome. That's an awesome story. Uh, let me change the focus just a little bit. Uh, I know uh, one of the things you've done is you've taught legal research and writing at Georgetown. That's right. I'm curious as to your views and, and you live in the world of generative AI. So how do you see generative AI changing how one teaches legal writing and the skills you need, because I think that's a big issue in legal education. That is such a good question. And I have a very strong opinion about this. Well, let's hear it. <laughs> I've always loved writing. Writing was my passion. I used to write fiction. You know, I was one of those people who went to law school because I was good at writing and I loved to write. And I actually felt like as a young lawyer, you learn to sort of, to sort of, uh, make your writing more bureaucratic in a sense. like, And maybe this is a DOJ thing, but I felt like uh, you sort of learn as a young lawyer to stifle your voice and to write in this very dry, kind of, you know, generic or sort of... Very uh, professional, very staid. Staid, that's a perfect word for it. And I actually, though, feel like when, you know, I've read a lot of the sort of legal writing books and the briefs that have gone before the Supreme Court, some high profile cases, and the ones that are the most compelling have a little personality and have a voice. And I think there's been an overemphasis on, you know, this extreme professional tone in legal writing and that having a voice, especially, you know, like a legal writing class is more litigation focused. I understand that contracts, there's less room for creativity, but I think that generative AI is sort of the hyper extreme of the way we are sort of taught as young lawyers to write. It's 
completely generic. I mean, it will spit out something that looks and feels or it like it smells like a legal brief, but it's like pretty generic. It, it has no voice. It has no perspective, no point of view. And to me, that's the worst kind of legal writing. So I think that it's a great opportunity, actually, for legal writing professors to say, like, you know, I understand you're going to use generative AI to spit out your your summaries or your memos uh, for this class, but know that that's not a legal memo. That's just sort of a generic summary. You need to now go and write that in your voice and use that to sort of build your persona as a lawyer, which is ultimately how you get clients is by having a personal brand and a persona that people want to associate with and and want to represent them uh, in court. So I think it's actually a great opportunity to sort of teach that lesson of building your own persona and having your own voice as a lawyer. You seem to recognize the fact that it's going to be at least a tool. Yeah. You know, I haven't, I haven't put thought into how I would use it in my teaching, but I think that I think it'd be really interesting. When I taught at Georgetown, I taught foreign trained lawyers in the LLM program. So one of the interesting challenges with that role was people had different levels of proficiency in English. And I think, for example, you know, a lawyer from China who's practicing in the US, uh, generative AI can be a really helpful tool in helping them check their language, their grammar, providing maybe some some help with articulating things in the right way. Um, I think that could actually be a really useful teaching and studying tool for students who are sort of simultaneously learning the particular type of English we use to practice law. Yeah, it's. Um, I think that's right. And I think it's about recognizing what the capabilities of the tool are, as opposed to just barring it, using it responsibly. A thousand percent. I completely agree with you. So tell me where you see Stand going over the next couple of years. What, what, are, what are your goals for the company? Well, like I said, we are very early stage. So we just launched our product. So our main focus right now is getting early customers using Stand and, you know, building out the full product experience with them. So I think, you know, our focus for the next year is to really build out our customer base with lawyers and also with, with some of their clients because we do want to serve everyone around the deal table, not just lawyers. That's, I think, the focus for the next couple of years is, is just growing, uh, growing our user base, building out additional UX features, additional functionality so that we can also be a place for companies to become diligence ready and to collaborate with their lawyers to make sure everything's always up to date. So if a deal comes in unexpectedly, uh, you don't have to spend a month getting ready for diligence on the fly, you know, helping companies, you know, who are in an acquisitive phase better allocate their resources and, and make better decisions about where they focus their time. So, you know, I think that's our main focus for the next for the next year is just uh, building out all of these different capabilities, getting more and more people using Stand and uh, becoming a trusted resource in the legal community so that uh, we can continue to work with the amazing small and mid-sized firms that are uh, really leaning into technology these days, and then also start working with some of the the bigger firms or the firms that are a little bit more skeptical about about these AI tools. Well, Julia, I know we're at time, so we need to wrap up, but uh, it's going to be fun watching. What I'm sure it'll be a great success for Stand, and uh, sounds like you're doing some cool stuff. So uh, congratulations, and thanks for making the time to talk to us today. 
It was such a pleasure speaking with you today. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Pioneers and Pathfinders. Be sure to visit thepioneerpodcast.com for show notes and more episodes. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform.